0: We're still in the book of Malachi today and we're coming to the end of this book. It's been a great journey. It's been a very challenging journey. And the Lord has laid many things on my heart and I know he has to many of you as you've spoken to me. And so I pray that he will use today's passage as well and he will speak to you. Malachi chapter 3 verses 13 to 15. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit, what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, But they also test God and escape. And read with me till verse 18, which we'll look at next time. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73 and keep your finger in there because we're going to be referring to Psalm 73 and the experience that Asaph had when he went through this very thing that we're talking about today, arrogance against the Lord. So have your finger in Psalm 73, and then we'll see what the Lord says through him as well. The question I want to ask you this morning is, have you felt like giving up lately? You ask yourself, why do I carry on this Christian walk? Week in, week out. Friends of mine and acquaintances have dropped away and they've deserted. And they want nothing more to do with the church. They want nothing more to do with Christianity or God. Should I do the same? It's just too hard. You see, as a believer, you might be frustrated by your own lack of spiritual progress. You've been a Christian for 27 years. And yet you feel as if you're no more than three years on the walk. Or maybe there's that reoccurring sin that you've been trying to deal with and it keeps coming back into your life. Or maybe you're going through ongoing hardship and it just is relentless. It's not giving up. And you look around you and you see non-Christians and they seem to be having a great life. And so this question comes to you. Should I just can it all? You see, Asaph in Psalm 73 said the same thing in verses 1, 2, and 3. Look at what he says. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now that's good in theory. That's there. And look at the next verse. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? Because I was envious of the arrogant Look at that. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so for Asaph, he was at this point in his life. Well, I just give up. We come to the sixth and the last dispute that God had with Israel, where he confronts Israel on very specific issues in their life as a nation and as individuals before him. And he does so through his prophet Malachi. And today he confronts them about their audacious and their blasphemous arrogance towards him. God says in verse 13, Your words have been arrogant against me. Literally, your words have grown heavier and are growing stronger against me. You see, the nation was no longer listening to any counsel, whether it was the priests or anyone else. They were blind with their own arrogant sinfulness before the Lord. And the arrogant words revealed something deeper. It revealed arrogant and hard hearts inside of them. And instead of confessing their sin before the Lord and repenting of their sin before God, they show only denial and accusation against Almighty God. They were literally putting God to the test. But it's not the same test as what the God said when He said, Give to me and I will bless you. This is a test of disobedience. They were looking for God's judgment on them, And so they come with this public accusation. And you should see how it's intensified. Where there were just words before, it is now public words. You see, if you refer back to Malachi 1 verse 2, God had said to the people, I have loved you. And what did the people say? But how have you loved us? Those were words. Yes, it showed a wrong heart, but those were mere words. Now they're coming with arrogant words before the Lord. They've gone public and they're inciting people to do the same. And what are they saying before the Lord? What is the actual accusation against God? It consists of two parts. First part of that accusation is this. It is useless to serve God. They were saying, Lord... Your priests don't even serve you as they should. And so, we as the people don't see the relevance of serving you either. And so, it's useless to serve you. And so, they were committing verbal mutiny against the Lord. Second part of the accusation against the God was this. What profit is it that we have kept his charge? In other words, of what use has it been that we've tried to live by God's commands? What has it done for us? Asaph, in verses 13 and 17, was going through exactly the same. Look at what he says. He says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. In other words, it's too much of a slog, to put it in modern vernacular. It's too much of a slog to try and live an obedient life before God. What's in it for me? Why should I keep God's commands? But when we look at that statement of theirs, what profit is it that we have kept his charge? We've got to really look at, were they really keeping his charge? You see, what was God's charge to them? It was to live obedient and holy lives before a holy God. Were they doing that? No, God's already proved that on quite a few occasions. They were, worsh- they were supposed to worship God from their hearts. That was what God intended for them, but they were just trying to worship Him outwardly, without it coming from their hearts. They were going through the motions. What proof do we have for that? Let's carry on. Verses 14. Look at what they say. What profit is it that we have kept His charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? You see, these people were going through the religious rituals of coming together and worshipping God, in quotation marks. Now, we need to understand that when they say we were mourning before you, it consisted of two actions. They had to fast and they had to mourn. They had to abstain from food as a sign to the Lord that inwardly they were sorry for their sin and that they wanted to give this time to think about their sin and to bring it before him. And then they had to go about in mourning, and there was a ritual mourning that the Lord required of them to show that they were really sad from their hearts, that their hearts were indeed filled with sin, and that they needed to bring the offerings before the Lord and be cleaned. And so there were ritual fasts and mornings that God required of them. But it was supposed to be from a genuine concern over their conditions. That was the key. However, what these people were doing was, they were openly going without food, where everyone could hear how loudly they were groaning because they were hungry. They were literally growing around saying, oh, I'm hungry, look at me. Outwardly, so people could see them. And what they also did was they covered their faces with ash to make them look more white. That was a sign of mourning. And they used to not wash their clothes or blacken them with soot from the fire to show that they were in mourning. But they were doing this to be seen by others. And so the man with the blackest and the dirtiest cloth is the one that wins. He must be mourning the most. The one who groans the loudest is the one who is indeed holiest. That's what they thought. Immediately it makes you think of a certain group in the New Testament, doesn't it? Who was that? The Pharisees. The Pharisees did exactly the same in the New Testament. They put white ash on their faces But their hearts were of stone. And what does Jesus call them? He calls them, you whitewashed sepulchres. You whitewashed tombstones. You are dead inside. You see the people going through the motions and the rituals of worship. And this isn't a new sin that they were committing. This had been happening for a long time throughout their history. And now after the captivity and they were back from exile, this was continuing to increase before the Lord until it reached its culmination in the actual Pharisees, who went to extreme lengths, extreme lengths to show that they were holy, when their hearts were in actual fact hearts of stone. Now I find this very funny, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just in brackets, when you go and study the Pharisees, there were seven kinds of Pharisees. There were seven types. Listen to these. There were the Shechemites. They kept the law, because they, they they knew if they kept the law, they could profit by it. So, anything that got them a bit of profit, those are the laws they kept. Then there were the humbling Pharisees. And these are actually recorded by Josephus as different types of Pharisees. There were the humbling Pharisees. Those who always hung their heads down so that they would appear more humble to everyone who saw them. So, they would go around the streets with their heads down. Then there were the bleeding Pharisees. This one really got me going. These ones, in order not to see a woman... They would walk with their eyes closed. And so they would keep on having accidents and getting wounds. Okay, And so the more blood you had on you, the more holy you must be because you hadn't been looking at women. The bleeding Pharisees. Think of the extremes these people are going to to be holy. Then there were the mortar Pharisees. They wore this shaped cap to cover their eyes. Why? So that they wouldn't see impurities and indecencies. And of course they too walked into things. And then they had a specific Pharisee called the What Am I Yet to Do Pharisee? And they didn't know much about the law and as soon as they'd done one little facet of the law they'd ask, so what am I to do next and I will do it. And interestingly enough, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus was one of these Pharisees. Because Jesus said to him, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And he said, But Lord, all these things have I done. What else must I do? He was one of these men. And then you get the fearful Pharisees. They kept the law for fear of future judgment. So they went around life fearful of what God was going to do to them. And then there was a remnant among the Pharisees, and they are also recorded. Praise the Lord. And these were, they were called the loving Pharisees. And they were the ones who obeyed the Lord because he loved them and they obeyed him with all their hearts. So there was a remnant, even inside the Pharisees, I found that really encouraging. And so Israel and later these Pharisees were deceiving themselves that their worship, this worship they were bringing before God, was perfect. But what they were actually doing is, they were drawing a veil over their own hypocrisy. They were trying to hide their hearts, the real state of their hearts before the Lord. And so they sought mainly to attract attention and to get the admiration of men. And they wanted people to think, what good lives these people live. What holy men they are. They were going through all the rituals of worship, but without their hearts worshipping God. And thinking that God would be satisfied, and here's the crux, and that he would bless them. That's what the nation was doing. They were going through all these rituals and thinking, if we keep these, God will bless us. And God wasn't blessing them. And that's why they come in arrogance before him, saying, this isn't working for us. You see, God wasn't blessing them. Their lives were staying hard because they weren't learning the lesson that God had, that he was busy teaching them. And this is where we need to take notes now. Because they were living disobedient lives, but they weren't taking it to the Lord, and so it turns into something else. What does it turn into? It turns into open rebellion. Arrogance, says the Lord. Heavy words that are growing heavier. You see, they were starting to do this. Look at, look at the words in verse 15. They were starting to deliberately distort and revert God's commands and God's principles. And doing this publicly. This is what they were saying. They were starting to publicly call proud sinners those who seem to have outward blessing and happiness. They were calling them blessed. So there goes a sinner living in their sin. Everyone knows that man's a sinner. And they were saying, that man is blessed. They were reversing God's values. They were doing a second thing. They were saying this, the doers of wickedness are built up. In other words, it literally pays to be wicked. Because look, nothing's happening to them. Thirdly, they were saying, They also test God and escape. They were saying, you can sin and there's no real danger in it. You can escape by sinning before the Lord. There are many voices today doing the same. Two examples. One, Richard Dawkins. This is a statement he put on all kinds of buses all over the cities and it's been copied in quite a few other cities all over the world. There's probably no God now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And then a preacher I heard recently, and I'm not going to mention any names, on TV. Just love God with all your heart. Love is what, what's important. God sees your love, not your sin. You hear the distortion? Isaiah said it like this, Isaiah chapter 5. Listen to these words. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Why must they watch out? They have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. There are two things they have done. They have rejected the law of the Lord, so they're turning their backs on God's law, and they are despising the word. They are putting it behind them. Rebellion against the Holy One of Israel. In other words, to put it in our language, they are directly in God's face, and they want to be. How are they exposed and recognized? And it's important that we recognize how, how do we see these people when they are um, among us? You see, this is what they look like. And while I'm saying this, examine your own hearts to see if there's not maybe a little bit of this in you. When things go their way, these people bless God and they speak highly of Him. And yet, whenever God goes against their will or He doesn't help them as they want to be helped, they start getting headstrong and they openly start to get bitter and hostile and inciting others to do the same. That's how we recognize them. It was a word that was, it was a word called to be a turncoat. Like this. When God is blessing them and it's going well, then praise the Lord and hallelujah. But as soon as things start going hard, then they start getting hard-hearted. They start getting bitter and hostile and headstrong and they try and grab as many as they can with them. That's how we recognize them. Have you recognized maybe some of those tendencies in you? When things go hard, how do you react to the Lord? You start grumbling. You see, Malachi's point in this passage is that the people's outward worship, their piety, was not genuine worship. And that God didn't have to acknowledge and reward their worship, even though they expected Him to. Their open public derision of God is arrogance against God, says the, says the prophet. And instead of blessing, God brings on them ongoing and increasing judgment. You see, God doesn't bow to pressure. He doesn't say, "Okay, okay, you've been protesting long enough, and I'll bless you again, even though you're sinning." God doesn't bow to pressure. He brings ongoing and increasing judgment discipline against those who sin against them, if you are one of His. No wonder when the people looked around them, the sinners seemed to be prospering. They were. God was punishing them and disciplining them as His own people. But the prosperity of the sinners was only temporary. See, God was working and refining His own people for eternity. And we looked at that when we looked at God being a refining fire. And so I come again with that question to you this morning. Have you felt like giving up lately? When things seem to go hard for you and it seems that God is not answering your prayers and it seems that His blessing isn't on you, when you look around you and you see sinners prospering and they seeming to be unaffected by their rebellious attitudes towards God, then our hearts are tempted to start going through the motions and the rituals of worshipping God. Yes, you might still come to church to worship Him on a Sunday, but your heart isn't in it anymore. And after a while, guess what happens? You start coming irregularly. Any old excuse, and you're not here anymore because something else has got your heart. And you're singing these songs, and you might be sitting here amongst us. You're singing the songs, and you're singing the tunes, but it's just your mouth. Your heart isn't in it. Those words aren't coming from your hearts. You might even go to a home group And you're there more, when you really look at your own heart, you're you're there more for the social interaction. You're not there so much anymore for the spiritual discussion and the growth that could come from that. And you start to play at being a Christian. Putting on the right face. When the phone rings and it's someone from church, putting on the right tone of voice. But you know you're really acting. And privately, between you and the Lord... You know that you're not spending the time you should be in His Word. You know that you are not coming before Him in prayer the way you should be. You know that your attitude towards Him is wrong. And like Asaph, in verses 21 to 22, this is the attitude of your heart. My soul was embittered. I was pricked in the heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. That's the attitude of your heart, you see. And the only reason you've got there is because it's never been dealt with. When you go through those hard times, you didn't take that in the proper way to the Lord. What is that? We'll get to that now. You haven't dealt with that sin in you. You openly and you deliberately start to drift away from God's people and serving God. And you openly start to criticize Christianity and Christians and God. Or, here's a more insidious way that it comes out. This is the one that is really, really dangerous. You may keep the pretense going. You may carry on as if nothing is wrong. When people look at you, they see you, you're just walking with God. Yeah, no, he seems to be going well. But yet inside, you know it isn't. G. Campbell Morgan said it like this. Listen to these words, very wise words. The man who openly blasphemes and who, standing under the sun, looks up at the heavens and says... I hate God, and then disobeys Him, is far less dangerous than the man who says, I love God, and then disobeys Him. I'm going to repeat that. It is so important. The man who openly blasphemes and who, standing under the sun looks up at the heavens and says, I hate God, it's out in the open now, and then disobeys Him, is far less dangerous than the man who says, I love God and then disobeys him. He carries on. He says the one to be really afraid of is the one who joins with God's people in saying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, and all the while rejects God's kingship within. That's the dangerous one. Is your heart perhaps there this morning? Everyone thinks when they look at you, everything's okay spiritually, but you know deep inside, in your heart, that there are areas in your life that are not right for the Lord, that you need to bring to Him, and that you haven't yet. You see, the prophet says to us this morning, Beware, your soul is in great danger. Hear me this morning. Your soul is in great danger. Repent of your sin and come back to God. Verse 7, the Lord says to you, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. We saw that. That open invitation is still there to you. Bring your sin before the Lord. Return to Him. Confess it before Him and He will return to you. You see, there is a right way to react to hardship. There is a right way to react when God's hand is hard on you in your Christian life. There is a right way to serve Him. There is a right way to worship God. But it's got nothing to do with outward rituals. Nothing. It is spiritual and internal. And we're going to look at that next time when we meet. Verses 16 to 18. He says there, fear God and esteem His name. Make His name great. Fear God, humble yourself under Almighty God and make His name great. Yes, even during the hard times. That's the reaction to him. You see, Jesus in the New Testament came to teach us. He came to teach all men that true worship consists not in forms of worship but in actual heart worship. That is true worship. It doesn't consist in outward observances, but in inward spirit. It doesn't consist in keeping of small, legalistic details before God, but in obedience to great heart-lived principles of life. There's a right way to live before the Lord, and a wrong way. And the right way isn't little rules that I've got to keep all the time, and then I'll be right with God. It is, is your heart right with God? It's big, you see that? And anything else leads to the opposite of God wants. Because God values obedience and faithfulness, not rule-keeping before Him. You get the difference? And so the question comes to you this morning as we come to the end of this passage. Is there any part of your life, any facet of your life, where you are going through the motions of living for God? Now think of all the facets of your life. We live complicated lives. There are so many things that happen in our lives. Is there any one of those facets where you you are not living to God in that part of your life? Where Christ is not central in your life? It might be in that quiet time that you spend with Him. And that you're only getting two minutes and that's it. That's all you can spare. Or it might be in a relationship that you're in. That isn't God honouring. And that God is not central in that. It might be in your daily worship and your daily work and school life before the Lord. There's there's some facet there that is not Christ-centered. It is you-centered. It might be because you are not depending on His guidance daily as you should be. It might be in your finances. You're going through a hard time. But is your heart Christ-centered? You still depend on Him. You see, what is the result of going through the motions if we leave it unchecked? There are four results. And please note these. We've looked at them. Firstly, it turns to arrogance. A hard, heavy heart. Then it turns to empty worship, if not dealt with. These are the symptoms of this disease. And then, if left unchecked, it turns into open rebellion and to twisting of the truth. Whether it's just yourself or whether it's openly done with other people. And then... And listen to this please. And then it will result in God not blessing you any longer. God's blessing on you will stop. And His discipline on you starts. That is the result. And therefore, we see in this book, fear and esteem the Lord. And so the prayer from our hearts can only be this. Lord, keep us from the danger of empty rituals and hollow worship. Which is no worship at all. Keep us centered on you, Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the prayer on your heart this morning? I want to be centred in my life on you, Lord Jesus. How did Asaph end his prayer? Look at what he says. Verses 25 to 28. This is the result he came to. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, this is a man who said, my feet have nearly slipped. Okay. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. You see, instead of fleeing away from God in empty worship, he draws near to God. God becomes his refuge. When we go through hard times, do we push away from God or do we draw nearer to them? John Calvin said this prayer and with this I'd like to end now. This is our prayer this, this morning. Lord, may we patiently bear the fire that God puts us through May He keep us in the pursuit of true worship. May our tongues be consecrated or set apart to magnify His judgment and celebrate His justice. Do you get that? In hard times or in good, our tongues should be giving God glory. And may we look forward to that blessed rest and entrance into the full glory and the happiness bought and prepared for us by the blood of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. You see how it all ties together? Jesus has done the work. Yes, we might have to go through hard times during this life, but there will come a time when that great trumpet sounds that we spoke about this morning, when we will rest, and then the sinners will get punished. But we will have rest for eternity, and we will glorify God for eternity. And so for this little part of life, if God chooses to put us through hard times, let's endure, but let's do it in a God-glorifying way. A way which doesn't turn to hardness in our hearts, which doesn't turn words against God, but which brings these things to Him and pours ourselves at His feet in humility and then we see God at work. Let's pray together. Lord, I have any Father on this earth. You sometimes, and you've said you will, put us as believers through very, very dark and hard times. Because you want to show to us your grace in action. You want to show to us how you deliver us even in the depths of darkness and trials. And Lord, not just that, you want to show the world that there is a God who is alive and he works in the lives of people. We are to be your witnesses in that regard. Lord, we pray that when you take us through hard times, that we would react in the right way and that we would glorify you despite our circumstances. We would carry on holding to you even when it gets right down to the line. We would hold on to you because you are the one who will keep your promises to us. But Lord, help us to guard our hearts before you so that we wouldn't have any areas of our lives which start drifting away And don't want you as center of our lives. And so that turns into hardness of heart. Lord, save us from that. And Lord, we pray that if we have drifted, we are here this morning, that your call remains to us. Come back to me and I will return to you. And we will do that seriously before you. And see you at work in our lives again, rejuvenating us, giving us that energy and that joy that we once knew when first we came to know the Lord. Work in us, we pray, and use us in obedience before you. Amen.